What's going on? Good morning. Morning. Okay, can we get, give the worship team a round of applause? Yeah. And I'm going to brag on my wife. I thought she did pretty, she does a great job too. Whitney did awesome. So thank you, Whitney. I know I'm biased. I'm biased. But hey, my name is Nathan and we're in this series. This is week 487 of Luke, but uh, it's been awesome. And we're going to continue with it today. And I want to get you thinking right away. I want to get, get right to it today. So here's what I want you to think about. Our lives and your lives are shaped by the answers we give to life's questions. We're constantly asking and answering questions in our life by our actions, our inactions, and our lives are being shaped by the, the questions that we answer. And however we answer them and whatever actions we take, our lives are being shaped by them. And there's thousands of questions and millions of questions you'll answer throughout your life, but there's some important ones. Here, here's a couple examples. One, there's two kinds of people. One alarm. How many are one alarm people, right? Am I going to be the one alarm type of person? Like, am I going to be disciplined enough to wake up after one alarm? Raise your hand if that's you. All right, you're my people. And then there's these type of people, right? I don't know what's up with you, but you got snooze and mini alarms. How many is that you, right? That's Whitney. So you usually marry each other, right? So are you going to be a snooze or no snooze type of person? Here's another one. Do the dish, does the silverware go up or down in the dishwasher? How many say up? Right? So I mean, how many say down? For me, I was like, hey, Whit, you're very opinionated on this, so I'll just go ahead and let you do it. Right? However you want it done, right? You can do it. Or there's a really important one next. This one. Toilet paper up or under or over? Who says under? Who says over? Wow, okay. And some of you are looking at your husband like, man, you don't have an opinion because you never changed your toilet paper, right? Like, what's going on? And then there's this. This kind of classic, you know, Android versus Apple. Apple, everybody. Android, right? Some of you. I'm whatever's cheaper, and that's always Android, so I'm Android, right? And then there's the, the one that's going to decide if I actually like you or not. This is going to be the one, right? This is the most dividing one. Maybe the most important thing of your personality, and you may not have an opinion. No opinion says a lot about you, too. Okay, so here we go. The office or Parks and Recs? How many say the office... How many say Parks and Rec? Dude, I can't believe that, but first service is cooler than you guys, right? The only right answer is the office, right? And so we answer all those questions. But then there's really important questions. Maybe right now you're in high school and you're going to graduate soon. You're like, man, where, where am I going to go to college? Like, am I going to go to that land in Bloomington or am I going to stay close to home in West Lafayette? Am I going to go to college? Am I going to go to the workforce? Maybe you're dating. You're like, should I marry this person? Should I not marry this person? Maybe you're married and you're newlyweds or you've been married for a couple of years. Like, should we have kids? Should we not have kids? Should we move here, not move here? Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? Should I believe this or not believe this? What about God? Am I gonna believe, do I believe in God? What do, what do I believe about God? What am I going to do with Jesus? Do, do, I, do I believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do I believe he's a good teacher? What do I believe? Right, there's thousands of millions of questions that you're going to answer. It says that we make like, like 10,000 decisions a day. And for me, I'm like, man, I don't even know if I have 10,000 thoughts. And then I think, yeah, I do. I think about some crazy things, right? But like we're making decisions all the time. And I've learned something in life. How many of you have ever answered a question in life and gave the wrong answer? Like, man, that was a mistake. Anybody? Anybody? Like, yeah, that was a mistake. So I've learned as I've gotten a little bit older, a little bit more gray in my beard that I didn't have before I moved here. Just saying, right? Okay. But I learned, if I'm going to really answer a question, I'm going to need the full context. 
okay? Especially if you're a married person. If I come home and Whitney asks me a question like, why'd you do this? I'm gonna say, pause. Why are you asking me? Like, what, 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 what's, is there, is this a trick question? Like, did I do something you didn't like? Like, I want the full context to any question that I'm gonna answer. So for example, should I take a job? Well, does it pay more? Do you have to move? Do you like the title? Do you like the job description, right? You want the full context. And why I'm telling you this today is we're gonna look at the most important question you will ever answer. And it's found in Luke chapter nine. But to answer the question correctly, I, I think it's best fit if we look at the entire context. And so maybe you're new to church, maybe you're new to reading the Bible. Here's something you should do as you're reading a Bible. Or you're reading Bible verses or you're going through a, a book like Luke. It's, it's really easy to look at a verse and say, oh, that's awesome. But to get the full context, you should probably read a little bit before what's going on before and after. And you get a picture between before and after. And then if you want to even, even broaden make it broader, you can say, hey, what's going on in this entire section? What's going on in this book? What's the theme? What, what's going on around this? So we're going to look at what's going on before the question and after the question to get there. So to do that, I, I got to catch you up. If you haven't been here, Jesus has been going around and he, he's got disciples now. He's got 12 disciples. He's been healing people, casting out demons. He's healed this woman who was bleeding for 12 years and Jesus calmed storms, but he's getting tired. And after that, we, we pick up here in Luke 9, starting verse 10. It says, when the apostles returned, so Jesus has sent them out to go make more disciples and do teachings. After they returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped away with them, quietly, quietly away with them toward the town of Bethesda. So he, he's, he's slipping away because he's tired. Well, while he's tired and slipping away, trying to get away from the crowds, the crowds found out where he was. They found out where he was going and they followed him. And they follow him to this remote, isolated area. And he welcomed them. And that's what I love. It says he welcomed them. And we're not even preaching on that today. But Jesus welcomes us. Again, another indicator. He's for people that they're not an interruption to the purpose. He welcomed them. And he taught them about the kingdom of God, his teachings, his ways. And he healed those who need healing. And these verses are on the backdrop, or right before, I should say, of what we're going to find is, is this miracle. And this miracle that we're going to find is going to be a miracle. It's the only miracle besides the feeding, besides the resurrection of Jesus that's found in every gospel. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Anybody ever heard of it before? Feeding of the 5,000. Some of you, if you grew up in church, you might be old enough that they had those boards where they kind of had the, the people on the boards. What are those called? I can't remember what they're talking about. Yeah, whatever that's called, right? They had the people there, right? It's acted out. It's in all four gospels. It's really, really important. But the, the title's kind of misleading. 5,000 should be the feeding of 15 to 20,000 because the 5,000 just counted all the men. But there's women and children there. So it's arguably the biggest crowd Jesus ever talks to. And the caveat to all this is he's going to teach. And scholars believe that his sermon that we don't have recorded here is actually the longest sermon he ever gave right so he gives this long sermon in this remote area with thousands and thousands of people and how we know it's long is the first line it says late in the afternoon right if if you leave church today late in the afternoon you know i went too long okay late in the afternoon the 12 disciples came to him jesus and said the, send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night there is nothing to eat here in this remote place. So here's what we know. This is cool. Or not cool, I guess. It's, it's interesting. 
we know that Jesus is preaching for a really long time. So long that it's time to eat. And we believe he probably started in the morning. And so it's such a long one. It's one of those sermons and, or someone speaking. Now, don't raise your hand for this, okay? Have you ever had someone just go on and on and on, right? Don't nudge anybody. I see people nudging people, right? Go on and on and on. You're like, hey, wrap it up. Well, Jesus is on point like 93 of a 100-point sermon. And the disciples are looking at each other like, man, we thought he was going to be done like four hours ago. And he's still going. I don't know if they're a little bored, or a little hungry. And they start looking at each other. And I'm just, I'm just playing this in my mind. Peter starts to look around. He's like, man, I'm hungry. Anybody else hungry? James, you hungry? Matthew, are you hungry? Am I the only one that's hungry? He's like, we, we, somebody should go tell Jesus to stop right? Someone should tell Jesus, now, this is Jesus we're talking about. Someone should go tell him to stop preaching. Why? Because we're hungry. And they look around like, no, no volunteers. So Peter's like, okay, why don't we all go tell him? Like, why don't we just go tell Jesus to send all these people to Chick-fil-A and we'll come back another day, right? Like, let's do this. So Jesus, Peter goes up to Jesus and he's like, hey, Jesus, great sermon, man. Great sermon. Oh, I love that point where you hit on that topic. Oh, that was so good. Uh, yeah, but no disrespect, but we've been here for a long time, a really long time. We're kind of hungry, right? We want some food. We want to eat. Like, the great sermon, but I, I, I think, you know, I think James over there, I think he's getting a little hangry. Like, he needs a snicker or something. Like, so why don't we just do this? Why don't we get these people, why don't we send them away, send them into the villages to eat, and they'll lodge, they'll hang out there for the night, and we'll come back tomorrow. But why don't we do that, Jesus? Like, it, it's long. And when we come back tomorrow, can we make it a little bit shorter, Like. So can, can we just send them away? This is what Jesus says to them. You feed them. If they're hungry, feed them. Hey, Jesus, I, I don't know if you realize this, but there's like 20,000 people here. You want me to feed them? Right? We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And we know this, this bread and this fish, it's not theirs. It's from a, a boy that we find in another gospel. It says that he brings this fish to them. He's like, we only have this to feed them. Or, I love this question. Are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? And if so, who's paying for it? Like, I don't want to pay for food for this whole pe all this crowd. For there were about 5,000 men. Jesus, you want us to feed them? You want us to feed them? Like, Jesus, we got like five biscuits and a Long John Silver snack pack. Like, what do you want us to do here? Side point. How does Long John Silver stay open? Anybody know that? Like, does anybody go to Long John Silver's? Two people in both our services raise their hands. Like, there's a whole undercurrent of society keeping them open. I don't know how it happens, right? But they're like, hey, we got some biscuits and we got Long John Silver here, right? We don't have enough to feed them. Like, what, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to feed them? Do you want us to pay for it? I love what we find in Mark. It says, with what? What, what are we supposed to feed them with? With what? We got, you know, some bread and some fish. And we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. He's like, you want us to feed them? I don't know if you're looking around, Jesus, but we got two fish and five loaves of bread. That's barely enough for us 12. And there's thousands of people here. What do you want us to do? Feed them? Jesus like, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. And I'm like, hey, with what? I like that question, with what? God calls us to do something. He's like, I want you to go here and do that. And we're like, with what? This talent? This ability? Hey, hey, go and take this job. With what? With this skill? Like, how am I supposed to do that? 
And I noticed something. I, I've read this encounter. This is one of the first encounters I've ever heard about when I went to church as a high schooler. Like, I've heard it for so long, I wanted to skip over it today. And God's like, no, so if it's long, don't blame me, blame God, right? But I was like, I want to skip it, but I found something for the first time in it. There's a mindset. There's an approach that these disciples have. And it's the same approach we have so, so often. It's what I call, we don't have enough mindset. With what? We don't have enough food. We don't have enough food to feed these people. We don't have enough money. It's the, we don't have enough mindset. Like, we, we just don't, it's not lack of faith, Jesus. It's not lack of anything else. We just did the math. Two fish, loaves, five loaves of bread, 20,000 people. That doesn't work. Any way you slice it, right? There's a bread joke for you. It doesn't work, right? And it's like, we don't have enough. And I love this quote by Brene Brown. It says, the mantra of our day is never enough. You guys know that movie, The Greatest Showman? In that song, she comes out on the stage, she's like, it's never enough, never enough, and I'll stop, right? But that song, it's like, never enough, like, get the whole world, and it's never enough. She says, the mantra of our day it is never enough. What's the first thing we say when we wake up? Man, I didn't get enough sleep, right? What's the first thing we say when we got our, get our paycheck? Man, that's not enough money, right? Anybody ever said that? Yeah, go, go buy groceries, you'll say it, right? Ne never enough, right? Never enough. And we have this list of what we don't have enough of. It, it goes on and on. It's like not enough time, not enough opportunity, not enough flexibility. Now that's double, right? Flexibility and schedule or actually the flexibility to be able to touch your toes. You may not have enough flexibility, right? Money, sleep, talents, energy, abilities, friends, experience, confidence, whatever it is. Like we have a list of things that we don't have enough of. And there's no shortage of things that we don't have enough of in this room. We can go on and on and on. And there are times when we don't have enough sleep. There are times when we don't have enough money. Right now I'm hungry. We don't have enough food. Like I'm hungry, right? I don't have enough food. Like there's times when we don't have enough friends. There are times when we feel like we don't have enough abilities for a job. The, but I want to look at specifically the context of with the disciples. They have Jesus right in front of them. And we have Jesus in our life. And we feel like Jesus is calling us to do something. We have a purpose, a meaning, a calling on our life. And he's like, hey, I need you to do this. We're like, man, I don't have enough time, Jesus. I'm busy. I don't have enough abilities. I can't do that. Look at my past. Look at, look at what I bring to the table. We don't have enough. We don't have enough. And so they weren't wrong. They did not have enough, did they? But they just didn't take into account who was with them. We don't take an account with who's with us. We don't take an account who sends us. After all they seen, after all they experienced, they forgot to take an account who was with them, why they were there to begin with. That's really important. So Jesus replied, oh, Peter, dude, I totally forgot that. I think all these people are going to die because I can't feed them, right? That's what Jesus says. No, no, no. This is what he says. He says, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50. Let, let's space them out here. And then you got to imagine this. Jesus takes the bread and the loaves of fish, uh, the loaves of bread and the fish. And he, he has them in his hands and he looks up to the sky and he starts to pray. Like if you were a disciple in this moment, you're like, is he really going to do this? Is he really going to do this? Is he really going to try to feed all these people with just this fish and bread? Like, it would be like me standing right here with a donut. 
I say, okay, I have a donut. Everybody here today is going to get some donut. You would expect me to have people, Tro, uh, Noah and Trevor and Derek, going through the aisles handing out donuts. I'm like, no, no, you, you misheard me. We're all going to eat from the same donut, right? First of all, that's nasty. We're not going to do that, right? But it's like, how are all of us going to have enough food to eat from this one donut? Like, that's lunch. We're going to stay past lunch. We're going to share this donut today. Like, doesn't that sound fun? That's what they're doing. Like, he's praying. Like, what's going on? So they're like, Peter, just keep your eyes closed. So he's praying. He blesses the bread. And this is what, he blesses the food. And then breaking the loaves into pieces. Okay, now he's breaking up. We can get behind that. He kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He said, hey, take this. Go give it to the people. He's like, which one? He's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just go take it. Take it. He gives it to this person. They come back. They expect not to have enough. They have enough. They go back. They're like, who do you want us to take it to? It doesn't matter. Keep handing it out. They keep coming back and back and handing it out. And every time they come back, guess what they have? Fish and bread. They have food every time. And all of a sudden, something switched. Jesus, the only one who could do this, took their not enough and threw his. Everybody say his. His power. It became more than enough through his power it became more than enough it says this they all ate as much as they wanted and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers there was more than enough and why I love this is because this is something that only Jesus could do but how does this apply to you and me there's a lot of ways we could go with but if you look at it we come to Jesus with whatever we have. Jesus calls us to do something. Often we say we don't have enough. And he doesn't ask us to bring more than we have. That's so important. Jesus doesn't ask you to bring more than you have, does he? He asks us to bring all we have. Give it to him and trust him to work. He asks us to bring whatever we have, whatever it may be, whatever lack of skills or skills you have, whatever resources, talents, abilities you have. He's like, bring it to me, and I'll work. And all of a sudden, he, they bring what they have, the loaves of the bread and the fish. He's like, watch me work. And he prays God and blesses it, and there's more than enough. And he takes our more than enough and makes it more than enough. And it's amazing. And what we see going on here is what I call kingdom math. Anybody love math? No, a couple of you. Trevor, that doesn't surprise me, bro. No, I'm just kidding, right? Kingdom, I call it kingdom mathematics. Kingdom mathematics, where an equation happens and the outcome and the, something happens that doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. Like this. You got 5,000, 10,000, 15, 20,000 people and a couple pieces of bread and a couple fish. Feed them all. Doesn't make sense, does it, right? The, the, the answer, like, how are we going to make this make sense? It's like Nathan, high school Nathan, doing algebra. I'm like, I don't know how I got that answer. I just guessed what X was. I don't care, right? I don't know. And so somehow the equation happens, and the, there's an equation and a problem, and all of a sudden you get the answer, and it doesn't make sense. It's like David and Goliath. David the giant, David... Uh, Goliath the giant, David the shepherd boy with some rocks, David with, uh, Goliath with some weapons, David kills Goliath. Doesn't make sense, does it? How about Moses and the Israelites? Going to the, they're coming out of Egypt, Pharaoh's chasing them, they get to the banks of the Red Sea, they all think they're going to die. God says, Moses, raise your hands. Moses raises his hands, parts the Red Sea. All the Israelites make it through, the Egyptians all die. It doesn't make sense over and over again. <coughs> Excuse me. Kingdom math happens. Jesus asks us to bring whatever we have 
and watch him multiply it. And so there's a, a, a kind of an equation you see. They gave it, he multiplied it. They gave, he multiplied. We give, Jesus multiplies. We give our talents, Jesus does more through us than we could ever imagine. That's why we talk about generosity. We give, he multiplies it. They gave it, Jesus multiplied it. And so that's the miracle. That's the backdrop of the entire question we're going to look at. But it's really important. Why is it important? Because context. Everybody say context. Context is key. The context of the, the whole backdrop is that the people in the audience would have recognized what was going on. Many of them would have thought back to a moment with the same man named Moses and how when the Israelites were in the wilderness in a remote place, God gave them their daily bread, something called manna. He supplied their daily need. It's in the Old Testament. He would supply them daily, just enough for that day. All of a sudden, Jesus, who's greater than the prophets, who's greater than Moses, comes onto the scene in a remote location with all these people around him, thousands of people with not enough resources, it seems. And all of a sudden, he's able to do something with bread and fish. And he doesn't just give them enough. What's he give them? More than enough. Enough for leftovers. So what does that mean? Well, that means for the crowd... If someone can feed you, if someone can do those type of things for you, maybe just maybe I might follow them. So in this moment, the crowds are saying, maybe this is the guy. Maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he is the one. But Jesus knew something. Jesus knew their love for him was only going to last as long as their stomachs were full. So that's the entire backdrop and context of what we're about to read next. One day, Jesus left the crowds because this, this is what comes exactly after the feeding of the 5,000. He left the crowds to pray alone and only his disciples were with him. And he asked them a question. Remember, questions need context. So the context of everything that's happened, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some thought it was John the Baptist, like spirit after John the Baptist was killed, right? Some would say Elijah, and the others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. So some people thought he was a prophet that was risen from the dead. They also, some people would have thought like, hey, Jesus, you're just a good teacher. You're a good dude who feeds people. Some people don't know what to think about you. So this question, who do people say I am? Jesus knew, but he wanted to hear what the disciples said. It's the same question people are trying to figure out today. If you go to this library right here, it's the Library of Congress. If you try to figure out how to check out a book, which is harder, it's harder than you think, right? I didn't figure out how to use my college library until I was a junior. And you know who taught me? My future wife, right? Like that's, my GPA definitely went up once I met Whitney, right? But in this library, there's thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of books. Do you know the number one there's one person who has more books or sections of books titled to them than any other person. 17, over 17,000 books are on the subject of Jesus. People are trying to figure out who is Jesus. It's nothing new. And Jesus, Jesus wants to know, what are people saying? Because people have an opinion now. Because most of them, they love him. They're like, hey, Team Jesus, he feeds us. Like, he's doing awesome things. He's healing people. Awesome. Then he flips the script because this is what Jesus does. But who do you, everybody say you, you, but who do you say I am? With everything I've done, with everything you've seen, with, me, with you being my disciple now, 
with you being with me, who do you say I am? And that's tense and it's quiet for a while. And then guess who speaks up? Our bro who breaks silence with stupidity that we talked about last week, right? But this time he's on to something. He says, you are the Messiah sent from God. And elsewhere, Jesus says, you're right, Peter. And on that message, I will build my church. On you and the message that I am the Messiah, I will build my church. But you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the Christ. You're the one the prophets have been pointing to. You're the one the prophets prophesied about. You're the one who John says is the son of God. And you are God's promise to save us. He's like, that is exactly who you are. And Jesus says, that is exactly who I am. Now you and I got to pause and stop with the context. You will answer thousands of questions in your life. Where should you live? Where should you move? What job you should take? Who you should marry? That's a really important question, by the way. Who you should marry? Should you have kids? But the most important question you'll ever answer in your life is who do you say he is? And no one can answer that for you. And Jesus asked this to the disciples because they've been with him. And if they missed it, and everybody probably missed it. The crowds missed it. But Jesus wanted to know, who do you say I am? And they get it right. Peter gets it right. So who do we say he is? is? Is he a good teacher? Is he someone who, man, if you just follow the way he says to live, your life's going to be better? Is he someone that someone made up? Or is he the Son of God? Is he the Savior? Is he the one who pulls us from shame and darkness into light? He is a good teacher. He did do some miracles, a lot of miracles, amazing things. And he does get us, but he's so much more. He saves us. He changes us. He transforms us. He restores us. He forgave us. He delivers us. He redeems us. He loves us. All of that is wrapped up in that answer Messiah. Do you believe it? You got to believe these things. He saves us from, our, from darkness and sin. He changes us. He transforms us. He restores us in right relationship with God. He forgave us going to the cross for us. He delivers us from our pain and darkness. And he redeems us and he loves us. And he says, I'm the only way. He's not, I'm, I'm not just one, one way. I'm the only way to the Father. And he comes and he says all these things. And people are like, man, that's so, it's so inclusive. He's like, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. I'm all these things. I'm the only way. But I came to rescue everyone. And so he'll tell his disciples later, at the end of all this, at the end of Luke, he's like, you need to go tell everyone what I have done. But in this moment right now, I just need to make sure you guys understand who I am. And he says, don't, and we're going to summarize what's coming next. He says, don't go, I am that person. Now don't tell anyone yet. Why? Well, he's like, he knew if they start teaching that and preaching that, what's going to happen to him? He knew he's going to get arrested. He knew the Romans aren't going to like it. He knew the Pharisees and religious teachers aren't going to like it. He's like, it's not time yet, but soon it will be. So he, Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. The same question we have to answer. And Jesus goes, I got some good news and bad news. Good news, you're right. Bad news, I'm not going to do what anyone's expecting me to do. This is the context. The crowds would have cheered his name because they thought he was going to be king. They thought their political party was about to be on the throne. 
And the Romans who oppressed them and beat them and, and taxed them unfairly were going to be wiped out. And Jesus says, I got some bad news. I am the one. I'm the Messiah. But my kingdom, and we talked about it, is the upside down kingdom. And those Romans you want me to overthrow, stay with me. They're going to arrest me. Not only are they going to arrest me, they're going to kill me. And the very people you want to overthrow me are going to arrest me and put me on a cross. And I'm going to be killed publicly in front of all of you. But he's like, don't worry, I'm coming back. Like, you know, you're like I'm coming back, right? Now they miss that part. They don't quite understand that. But he's like, that's what's going to happen. And then on the backdrop of all this and all this question, if you believe I'm the Messiah, he says this to the crowd. And he says this to the 12. And he says this to you and I. If we really believe he's the Messiah... If any of you wants to be my follower, my follower, the follower of the Messiah, you must give up your own way. A little cool note here is the first followers of, of Jesus weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way. He's like, you must give up your way and your desires and to take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Like what in the world does that all mean? Let's look at the cross part. He's like, you're going to have to carry your cross. Now, in Jesus' time, the cross wasn't on a necklace. No one would have worn it as a necklace. It was a torture device. And they would have known that if Jesus says take up a cross, that means they're going to be tortured and killed. They would have thought, what are you talking about? Take up your cross. And very, very soon to them, the cross was going to become a reality. He's saying, you too must face your challenges and your persecution. And it wasn't just a, a cute saying like it is now, like take up your cross, like we wear that as a badge of honor. To take up their cross was figuratively. Many early Christians, including many of the disciples, they actually would take up their cross. They would be killed. And then he says this. If you try to hang on to your life, if you try to hang on to your, your crown, just imagine your life's a crown. If you try to hang on to your crown, you'll lose it. But if you give up your crown, your life, for my sake, you will save it. He's like, that's what it means when you declare I'm the Messiah. And that's what it means to follow me. So he's almost like he's asking another question. After all you've learned, and after all you've seen, and after all you believed, will you let it transform you? He's like, because right now, those crowds call me Messiah too. And when I ride into this city, when we're going to see in a little bit, they're going to cheer me on. So it's not just with words, but with all you've seen and all you've heard, will you take up your cross and let me transform your life and way of thinking? Will you let everything you know about me, what you've seen about me, what you believe, transform you? And that's the same question we have to answer. Do we allow our belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who can save us, redeems us, restores us, loves us, transform our lives? And the transformation doesn't happen with our mouths. It happens with our hearts and our minds. So I started thinking, what does that look like for you and I? Because it's got to look like something, right? And it's got to, I like to be very tangible. Like, what does that look like? So I started looking and thinking about this all week, and, and we talk about this often. To live like Jesus. What does that mean? Well, one, it, it means that we understand that He's the Messiah, and that, that desire wants us to live like Him. What does that look like? 
And I don't know if you know this, but last week was the Super Bowl. Anybody watch that game? Yeah, right? Okay, the wrong team won, unfortunately, for the, like the 400th time. But the week before the Super Bowl, I, I like to nerd out a little bit, and I like to listen to all the interviews. And a lot of times the answers are all the same. They're stock answers, stock answers, stock answers. But this year, there was a quarterback named Brock Purdy who wasn't supposed to be there. You know his story. Drafted last in the draft, now starting for the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Wasn't supposed to be there. One thing about Brock Purdy, though, that people don't talk about is that he's a follower of Jesus. And one reporter was asked, asked him this question. Through all of the things that you've been through, through this rise to fame, through this rise of being the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl, what has God taught you most about your faith? And I was expecting this stock John 3.16 Philippians answer. This is what he says. Don't hold too tight onto your life or your job. Make sure your identity is in Jesus. He goes on to say, this is just a job. And it's been an amazing ride, amazing job, amazing journey. But I don't hold too tight onto that. Because what really matters is what Jesus is calling me to do in my life. And he goes on to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I give my life to him, and all honor, all glory goes to him. And I love that answer, because again, it's this crown imagery. And so to answer Jesus' question, I think we answer it with a question at times. If you're willing to call him Messiah, if you're willing to follow him, the question you have to answer, am I willing to trade my crown for the cross? Am I willing to take that crown of control of my resources, of my time, of my pride, take that crown off, hand it to Jesus, and carry whatever cross comes next? Now the amazing thing is, there's going to be times when Jesus works miracles in your life like the feeding of the 5,000. And you're going to be like, man, Jesus is amazing. He's awesome. He's going to take your not enough and make it more than enough. And then there's going to be times when you feel like you're carrying a cross through quicksand and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And it's really easy to call him Messiah over here when he does whatever you want. But are you willing to still call him Messiah over here when you're carrying the cross? Are you willing to trade the cross for the crown? Are you willing to trade the crown for the cross? Excuse me. I don't take that last part serious, right? But here's how I live it out. Or here's what I tell people. What does that look like? Well, wake up after your no snooze and say, here are my hands, my feet, my mind, my resources, my story. Here's everything about me. I'm making myself fully available to you. And all I ask, God, is that you work in my life because I know you're the only one who can take not enough and make it more than enough. You're the only one who can redeem me. You're the only one who can save me. And I want to follow you. So here's my crown. The only thing I ask is you make me as available as you want me to be. I'm for, as forgiving as you call me to be. I'm as loving as you call me to be. And I'm willing to go wherever you go. All I ask is that you guide me and direct me. Or you can take Jesus' words. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Are you willing to trade the crown for the cross? And that's what the beautiful kind of thing happening in Luke chapter 9 is about. Jesus making it clear. I'm not Moses. I'm not Elijah. I'm not John the Baptist. I'm not just one of many that have come along the way. I am the only one, the Messiah. And the most important question you'll ever answer in your life is who do you say I am?
and he makes it very clear, I am the Messiah. And what the rest of Luke makes clear is that Messiah who saved us, who rescued us, wants a relationship with us. So today we're gonna continue to sing, but, but if you wanna talk to a staff member, myself or Trevor, about what that next step looks like or how to make Jesus the Messiah or just pray over you. We're going to have some pr friends in the prayer room. But I'm going to pray right now that we, in the next moments that we trade our cross, our crowns for our cross. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for who you are. So thankful for all the things you do in our lives. God, in the seasons where you take are not enough, making more than enough. God, it's so amazing to watch and we know those stories here. But you're just as much with us when we're carrying our cross for you and it's part of your plan it's the thorn that we don't understand but we'll carry it but God what we're going to do now is we're going to worship you and the side of worship is saying you're the one that we stand in awe of that deserves our praise and glory so we're going to take off our crowns and focus our eyes on you we love you because you loved us first it's your name we pray amen